I'm Laura Palmer, host of Island Crime. Season six, Sweethearts, is the story of three teenage girls who were all murdered in Victoria, Canada within about 12 months. So she was scared, something out there scared her. You've just created the playground where predators can really thrive. She was a 16-year-old girl. She was a sweetheart. Listen to Sweethearts at FrequencyPodcastNetwork.com or wherever you get podcasts. Find your frequency. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. For a moment last week, a whole bunch of Albertans who had done the right thing had a chance to second-guess themselves. We need everyone who's on the fence or those who want to get a shot but have just been putting it off for a while uh, to, to get their dose now. Vaccinated Albertans now are eligible for three $1 million draws. The goal to have 70% of those eligible vaccinated this week. If that happens, the real prize is a full reopening of the province. Alberta's government has joined a growing list of states and provinces and companies offering the chance of amazing, life-changing prizes to lucky citizens who get vaccinated against COVID-19. Sometimes these vaccine lotteries are open to everyone who's had a shot. Sometimes they're only open to people who get their shot now. But that doesn't really matter. What matters is that they appear to work. They work well enough to make me, someone who desperately sought out and took the first vaccine I could get, feel a little bit of FOMO. And that means there's something weird going on here because I have no chance at winning a vaccine lottery. Like, none. Neither do you, even if you live in Alberta and even if you get your shot right now. I mean, technically, of course, you have one single, minuscule chance. But realistically, you have none. Yet, after early experiments with guaranteed small rewards, you might remember these as a free beer or a baseball ticket for Americans who got vaccinated. Most states in America, with vaccine-hesitant citizens, have moved away from those and towards the big prizes. Why does that work better than, say, paying everybody who gets vaccinated a guaranteed 50 bucks? What's happening in our heads that makes us get this calculation so wrong? And if governments continue to see that a mere hint of a bundle of cash can alter our medical decisions, what could they manipulate us into doing next? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Adam Rogers is a senior correspondent at Wired, where he writes about science and miscellaneous geekery. And today, he joins us to talk about vaccine lotteries. Hey, Adam. Hello there. Why don't you start by telling us, because it's it's such a neat idea that kind of showcases both sides uh, of this. Tell us about what United Airlines is doing. Yeah, this is a fascinating example. And it's especially interesting to me because it's it's a... I'm not sure how to say this in the right way. It's a non-state actor, right? It's not a uh, it's not a government using this approach, right? So United Airlines, um, out of a desire both to encourage people to get vaccinated against COVID nineteen, and also uh, a great deal of self interest. After a lot of conversations internally, what they adopted was this idea that if that anybody who flew and who signed up for mileage plus, which is their frequent flyer loyalty program. You know, you get miles or points for every time you fly. 
um, and uploaded their vaccination card. In the U.S., you get a little card that says, like, you know, people sign, the pharmacist, whoever signs, says, yes, you got your shots. Right. Would be entered into a sweepstakes, a lottery. And the prize, there were a bunch of different prizes, but the big one, the grand prize, was a year of travel for two anywhere the United flies in United's, like, super first class up in the front of the plane that nobody ever gets to see because they close a curtain where there's, you know, good food and and – I don't know. Really nice stuff. It's really nice. I wouldn't know about yeah, it. Yeah, I don't know. I've only heard rumors. Apparently, it's pretty great. <laughs> and so that that became the the inducement. What United wanted to do was say, yes, we want people to fly again. We want people to get vaccinated. We want people to fly in United. Here's the reward that you might win these fabulous prizes. Now, there's a that, that might has like italics and is underlined because you're not going to win. Yeah. Because nobody's going to, one person's going to win, thousands, of tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people, however many are going to enter. And in fact, they'll be able to tell from their data, like, okay, we can look and see how many new people signed up for Mileage Plus or how many new people flew with us and what were the dates on their vaccination card, which would be a way to tell, okay, did they get vaccinated after we announced that this was going to be the prize, which would be a, a pretty good proxy to tell if somebody had actually gone out and done what they hoped, which is got, wasn't going to get vaccinated or hadn't been vaccinated and then went out and got it. They haven't seen whether that actually worked yet, but they certainly seem to feel like it would. If we're having trouble getting people to get vaccinated, we got that the first group of people who were highly motivated to get a vaccine, like I was, like, I, you know, yes, put it into my arm. Let's do it. Give me the shot, or please, right? And, and that group of people got their vaccinations as soon as they possibly could. And they had access. They knew how to use the internet in the U.S. so they could get signed up, all that stuff. And then the people who were like anti-vaccine, who were just like, no, I don't believe it. It's a 5G chip that turns you into a werewolf. It's none of those things, but whatever. They're not going to do it. You can't convince them. But there's people in the middle. And so how do you motivate them if they're not getting their shots? I would have thought like, okay, you give them all 20 bucks. Give them all 50 bucks. Show up, get your vaccine. Here's a $20, here's $50 bill. Here's a gift card to a supermarket, whatever. But in fact, that's not what the behavioral science, what the behavioral economics and what the research shows. What, what it shows is what the marketing people at United seem to understand um, and, and governments start starting to try to figure out too, which is that there are some group of people who will move off the dime with the, the barest possibility of a life-changing prize, much more so than if you guarantee them a $20 gift certificate. Well, and that's the fascinating thing is how this has evolved, because I remember, uh, obviously, in the United States, you guys were a couple of months ahead of us in terms of ramping up mass vaccination. And one of the things I remember most from those months is seeing uh, free beer if you show us your vaccination card, or for some of the baseball stadiums that were reopening, you know, a free ticket if you come and get your vaccine before you see the game. And those were the kind of things that I was expecting to see whenever we got to the level that we're approaching now in Canada where where we've done most of the easy pickings in terms of people who want it. But we actually haven't seen that up here. What we've seen instead in, in the one province that's done it is uh, that typical vaccine lottery uh, that some states in, in your neck of the woods have been doing, right? And And what kind of results have we seen from that in the United States? Not everybody has released data. So what what data has come out, so the state of Ohio was the kind of the first place that did a big, splashy um, lottery program. And they saw increases of, like, overall increases of close to 50% in their vaccination rates in the first, like, couple of weeks after the um, they announced the lottery. Um, and that that got all sort of confused because you had to say, like, okay, well, which age groups was it? Because the, 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 the minimum age also got lowered, so the teenagers all came in. 
um, as well. But even if you accounted for that, Ohio saw like a 28% increase or something like that. Um, California instituted a lottery as well, about half a dozen states, maybe, maybe it's more now, instituted them. In California, the numbers for vaccinations kind of stabilized, I think, but they didn't, they didn't spike back up. You didn't see like an N-shaped curve, um, which is what people were hoping, where it, like, it went up and then it went way down and then it would come up again. I think it's sort of stabilized. Um, what you do see is a, um, another proxy measure for success that the Ohio folks talked about was they spent about um, like five and a half million dollars U.S. essentially on the program because it was like five million dollar prizes initially and then about half a million dollars in scholarships for the kids. And um, they, by their count, they got the equivalent of 28 million dollars of earned media, which is to say that they would have had to spend 28 million dollars to get the same amount of airtime on a on a CNN or an ABC as they got for for free. I'm putting that in air quotes. It wasn't free as they got just for doing kind of a splashy thing, and that makes a lot of sense because the the point of the money, a lot of the money that the states are using for this came from the federal from the federal government to encourage people to get vaccinated. So how do you spend that money? This is a way to spend it on these lotteries. And, and the economics of these giveaways are part of the reason that they're appealing to the people doing them. This is a different sort of behavioral economics than somebody like you or me who are like, well, should I go get vaccinated? Oh, there's a lottery. I'll go do it. The people who are putting them on, you know, they want, they get, it looks like they get more bang for the buck essentially for like, oh, if we put on a lottery, we're going to spend less than we would if we had given $50 to each person or as United chose not to do, given 2000 mileage points or however many mileage points to everybody, because that has a cost for them. Can you explain maybe the economics of it before we get into the behavioral science? And I mean that from the point of view of what a rational economist would think if you were offering them a choice of taking 50 bucks guaranteed if you get your vaccine versus being entered into a million-dollar lottery. I assume they would say that the $50 is what you should grab. Yeah, the, the hyper-rational economist, the, like a classic Chicago school economist, thinks that you're insane for going for a lottery, right? The, they, they would say, well, look, here's the difference. Uh, a, a, a crisp new $50 bill or a, a, a lottery ticket that is essentially not worth the paper it's printed on because the, by the odds, you're not going to win. So, you know, to them, it's nuts. But to behavioral economists. Right. To a behavioral economist, they understand that human beings are a little dumb <laughs> and they overvalue the possibility of a big win um, because it's fun and because they get to dream about it and because it's entertaining and because they they are bad at predicting the future. We are bad. I'm talking like I'm an AI or an alien. Sorry. We are bad uh, at predicting what the future is going to be. We tend to not think bad things are going to happen to us and we tend to think good things are going to happen to us. Um, so the so the idea this of the, the possibility of um, of a big win becomes more compelling. Whereas, you know, the and the converse of that is that if the if we get told uh, oh, come get a vaccination and you get a free beer or a baseball ticket or a or $20, you know, gift card or whatever, then we, we think that's the value. Somebody else has put a value on getting vaccinated. And so we don't think of them of not getting sick and dying and not getting someone else sick who then might die uh, and not putting an end to a global pandemic that in the United States alone was hypothesized would cost in the end $16 trillion. Mm -hmm. All those things are abstract to us, but the, right. But the concrete thing of like, 
oh, this vaccination is worth the $20 gift certificate, and my time is worth more than that, and it's hard for me to access a vaccine site, and I don't want to risk the possibility of two days of side effects, which many of the vaccines come with, because I have finals coming up, or because I have stuff to do, or because I don't have childcare, because I, I, you know, I don't have a ride to a vaccination site. All those things that, that make it difficult, not impossible, but difficult to get vaccinated, become the barrier. And uh, now, if it's, if it's only worth if, if some government entity says it's, it's worth 50 bucks to us, the, it's, the, it's the inverse of a, of a, of a famous paper um, called The Fine as a Price, where if you tell a, a person or a government or, or if you tell a corporation, like, if you pollute the oceans, it will we'll fine you $2 million, then that corporation says, oh, now I know it costs me $2 million to cough toxic waste into the ocean, and so I'll just price that into my product. And then I can do it. And then when the government says, you put toxic waste into the ocean, I just give them the $2 million and all is well. It's the cost of doing business. So this is the inverse. We say, oh, the cost of doing business is like I get $20. That's not worth it to me. I'm not going to go get vaccinated. But if the cost of doing business is a million dollar prize, like, oh, wow, getting vaccinated is worth a million dollars suddenly in my head as a dopey human being. How does that leap happen? And do we know why we value something uh, that we have no chance to win that highly? To your point, it seems really stupid. <laughs> I mean, it, do, it does and it doesn't. I mean, we, we, we think that the good things are going to happen to us and the bad things aren't. It's the reason that what an economist sometimes calls a, calls a nudge works and what some other, what, what other think, what other behaviorists and and um, and some marketers and folks might call gamification slightly different, but the idea that if you turn something into a game where you can win or lose and you can get points for doing something, that that encourages people to do stuff. So, for example, the person who was kind of the main um, consultant on the Oregon vaccine lottery had come out of the world of finance, where he was a co-founder of a of a bank, basically that that gamified, that gave people uh, rewards, game-like rewards even financial ones, just for like saving more money or for getting a retirement account um, because they found that they could increase by by vast number, like, like by 50%, the number of people who would just, you know, have a bigger savings account if they made that into a game, if they made it something you could win or lose. That has some some ethical and behavioral implications in itself and there's reasons to be very concerned about gamification and reasons to be concerned about nudge um, type uh, policies like these vaccine lotteries, but like in the from the behavioral economics side, the, the, there's a there's a famous book called Nudge. There's actually a new version of it, a revision coming out in August by a, um, a couple of behavioral economists, Richard Thaler and Cass Sunstein. Sunstein is now an advisor in the Biden administration. Thaler's a Nobel Prize winning economist, and what they said is that you could make you could make people do this is the ethical thing because it's weird to make people do stuff, but you could essentially induce people to do things that were policy net benefits, policy wins, population scale wins that they themselves might not be likely to do or even wins for themselves that they're not likely to do by doing things like making the thing fun, making it easy, mm-hmm. you know, making it more possible to do. And the, and the fun part seems to be the critical thing about the lottery is that it's sort of enjoy- – gambling is enjoyable. You know, no, people don't go to Las Vegas because they're going to win. You know, you sit down at a blackjack table, really fundamentally the economics there are. You sit down at a blackjack table and lose for six hours because it's fun to sit at a blackjack table for six hours. I had it explained to me once that people don't buy a lottery ticket to win the lottery. They are paying that money to dream about winning the lottery. And that is actually the value they get in return. And they value that at more than the two or three bucks it costs. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that's exactly right. And and I could I could be even more sort of neuropsychiatrically cynical about it and say you're paying for a little squirt of dopamine. 
you know, right. you, you go in and you pay your $3 and you get the little jolt of like, woo, this could be great. And like, you know, it was fun to scratch that off. Like, did I win? Nah. All right. Well, but I had, I had those moments and they, that, that fun is real. Uh, you know, it's, it's, I think it's a mistake to dismiss the fun. It's clearly a mistake here because if you can move some subpopulation, there's a lot of different, just thinking about the vaccine thing, there's a lot of different reasons people don't get vaccinated. And if you can cross one or two of those off that list, that increases the number of people who get vaccinated. And that's a net benefit for everybody. Because even the anti-vaxxers in this case become free riders, you know, who get the benefits of a larger population of people who are vaccinated around them. So here's my my logical follow-up to that. And, you know, let's use the vaccines as an example. But just to state, these vaccines are incredibly safe. They're incredibly efficacious. Everybody should get vaccinated. These vaccines work. However... It feels kind of icky to have governments psychologically manipulating people into making a health choice. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, that's the that's one of the ethical concerns that I was alluding to a second ago. And as you say, these vaccines are extraordinarily safe and it's really good to get vaccinated for a, a bunch of different reasons. There are very, very rare, very, very rare but occasional outcomes that are bad. Um, there's some association, it's not totally clear which, it's, some people think it's clear than another, with like significant, severe side effects. Very, very rare, but that happens, which in a way is like a negative lottery, weirdly, right? Is that, you You know, you, that's probably, it's almost certainly not going to happen to you, but some people it, it happened to and, you you know, you don't want to hit that that lottery. So, like, is it ethical then to, to make someone or try to make someone do something they weren't going to do otherwise? It's a very good question. And different, different, you know, that, that becomes a cultural value of whether that's, a, whether it's okay to do that. And you, so you begin to weigh things like the public health benefit, the population benefit versus the cost, the, the, the um, ethical cost and the potential risk to the individual. We make those calculations, especially with biomedical interventions, with drugs and surgeries and all that kind of stuff. We, we make those evaluations all the time, both as policy matters and also as individuals and as physicians. Um, we, one way to, to, um, to potentially circumvent that, and I talked to some folks about this a little bit, is that you, you, you might overweight the um, make it easy side of the nudge instead of the make it fun. Because um, the the make it fun begins to feel like well isn't that a mandate in a way it's a sneaky mandate it's like a it's a sub rosa mandate and, and what we're trying to avoid here in a way is just saying like look you're not allowed in the building unless you prove you got vaccinated you're not allowed on the airplane unless you prove you got vaccinated you can't come back to work you can't go to university and that makes it a negative thing again exactly and and certainly in the United States there's a whole set of politics that makes that untenable. People really, a certain segment of people really freak out at that stuff, even with public health. I, I would say like another digression, this is a little bit weird, but in, in, in the last 200 years, public health catastrophes similar to the one that we we're experiencing that we've been through for the last year would lead to increases in the powers of public health to mandate people's behavior. This time around, there are states in the U.S. that are actually decreasing the powers, the legal powers of public health authorities in response to what's happened with the pandemic, which strikes me as like, that's a really wild shift politically and, and culturally in response to a public health catastrophe. So if you, if you instead choose the make it easy side, if you just said, well, look, instead of um, vaccines being only available at certain sites and you have to have, you know, a, a doctor you can go to or a pharmacy, you know, maybe like there should be um, vaccine vaccine stands, you know, pop up vaccination centers at every supermarket, at every mall, at every school. Every school nurse should have access to this. If you could figure out the technology of preserving the vaccines, every you know, make it so that you basically can't go anywhere without someone walking up to you and saying like, "Hey, you vaccinated yet? You want a vaccine? I got it right here." It has become clear 
um, in the U.S. that it's not the gross dichotomy of um, I will take any medical intervention offered to me, to, you know, for whatever my values are, but either because I uh, because I'm a, a communitarian or because I don't I'm scared of getting sick or because I whatever versus absolutely not I don't believe in vaccinations. You know, there's a lot going on in the middle, and there are different people and different groups in that middle with different reasons, and so you want to try to figure out how to reach all of them in different ways. Here's the last thing I want to ask you, because this is really the question that I keep coming back to in the days uh, since Alberta announced their vaccine lottery. And, you know, it certainly seems like this has been catching on and, to your point, is effective. Does it stop with vaccine lotteries? Like, why? what is preventing and why wouldn't governments do this, say, in certain places where they know that there are a lot of votes for their party as we head into an election? Or even just for voting in general or any sort of, like, bribing people to behave like good citizens with the chance at a prize? Like, this could set a real precedent, no? Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Why not lotterize everything, you know? Um, I, I want to see data first. This is a fascinating natural experiment. If you can actually correlate increases in vaccine uptake with this kind of lottery move, then yeah, you could start to imagine this. And in fact, the whole the, the nudge philosophy behind behavioral economics and and, and um, policymaking, I don't think they have it anymore. But the United Kingdom, England had a nudge unit, had a whole like a policy unit set up to try to encourage these sorts of policy net benefit behaviors from people. Um, so you can imagine what, what sorts of things could you put a lottery behind? You could say like, okay, if you, um, if you like voting is a good one, I guess, like everybody who actually votes, you can't reward people for voting. Oh, <laughs> this is one of the reasons it's hard to test, by the way, is that if you tell people we'll give you a hundred dollars, if you, um, come in and get a, a flu vaccination or we'll put, enter you into a lottery, there's some question about whether that's an ethical trial like even testing it is is might not be ethical because technically giving people money to participate in a clinical trial is also itself unethical so it's even hard to test this stuff but now there's a natural experiment let's see if the states who had vaccine lotteries or the provinces that had vaccine lotteries have more vaccination uptake than the places that don't and then if you know it works then yeah you know how about like uh everybody who um you know rides the bus is entered into, I don't know how you'd keep track of it, or everybody who... Get a bike license and be entered into a lottery. Yeah, bike license. Any of that stuff, you know, that you want individuals to do, like, if it works, maybe, maybe. I look forward to my future of being psychologically manipulated by governments, more so than I already am, I'm sure. <laughs> Well, and that's the thing is how much, you know, you already, there's some, there's distrust in how governments operate and work with us as it is. Do you want to encourage that? There's a policymaking cost here. You know, how much do you want to be perceived as being tricksy versus, um, you know, being transparent with the, the people who you're governing? Thanks so much, Adam, for this. It's a fascinating article. I really appreciate you taking the time. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Adam Rogers, Senior Correspondent at Wired. That was The Big Story. For more from us, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. Find us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. Tell all your friends that you can listen to us every day in any podcast player you want. Our episodes drop at 4 a.m. Eastern time, perfect for early risers. You can also email us, thebigstorypodcast at rci.rogers.com. Please do. We would love to hear from you. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. Thanks for listening. We'll talk tomorrow.